Hello, everyone, and welcome. My name is Jana Panaritis, and you're listening to the AgeWise podcast, where we give you strategies for aging well and wisely. And how do you do that when on top of struggling to meet the demands of your own life, you're also caring for an aging parent or a spouse, or maybe you're caring for another member of your family? Well, we're here to help. Each week, we'll hear from the experts, professionals in the field of aging, and people like you, unsung heroes rising to the occasion of caring for a loved one and finding unexpected rewards along the way. So stick around for some straight talk on aging in all its unpredictable glory. Back in August of 2015, we spoke with a New Yorker named Tim, whose father has advanced Parkinson's disease. Tim grew up in Connecticut, and his parents still live there, in the house where he was raised. His parents are in their mid-70s, and Tim is now 51 years old. He's the oldest of four, and he's gay, which he told us in the interview was a big reason why, at least when he was younger, he was physically and emotionally distant from his parents. Time and the progression of his father's disease has changed all that, and now Tim is a much bigger presence in his parents' lives. When we spoke with him last summer, his dad's Parkinson's had reached the point where it was unmanageable, and even though Tim's mother was burned out from being his dad's sole caregiver, she was completely resistant to the idea of getting outside help. Tim's parents are very private, proud Yankees, convinced they don't need help with anything. But a friend of his mother's finally convinced Tim's mother to meet with an elder care manager. And miraculously, after her total outsider blockade, his mother not only agreed to allow physical and occupational therapists to come to the home and work with Tim's dad, she also agreed to allow a home health aide into the house. At the time of our interview, the aide had yet to start working, but the therapist had begun working with his dad, which Tim described as a huge disruption in his parents' lives. We're picking up the story now, 10 months later, to find out what's changed in Tim's life since we last spoke with him, and in the life of his parents. So Tim, welcome back. Thank you. So going back to last summer, if we can, tell us what happened when the home health aide arrived. How did that go? Well, it it took a while to find a, a home health aide that stayed. Uh-huh. There were two home health aides that came, one for a week and then one for just one day, before finally someone came that is still there now. And originally there was a, a request for a man because of the mobility of my father and moving him. Mm-hmm. So there were two men uh, that came in, neither of whom worked out. And then uh, a woman started and she has been there, you know, now probably about nine months. And what were some of the issues that came up with the folks who didn't work out? Why did they leave? I know this is a common problem with home health aides coming and not working out. So so can you tell us what happened, why they didn't stay? Well, I did not meet either of the first two, but uh, my understanding is the first one seemed to be fine from my parents' standpoint, and then he just told his agency he didn't want to work there. They mm-hmm. never really knew why. And the second one was kind of mutual. There were some language difficulties between them. My parents didn't really feel comfortable with him. They felt he mostly just watched television and didn't really engage. And I think he also wasn't, you know, I think that was sort of mutual after one time, one or two times that, oh, this isn't going to work out. Uh-huh. And that's really as, as much as I know. And how, how many hours were they there during the day? Essentially probably about four hours. Okay. 
Okay, so not the whole day. So you went through an agency. Yes. They have long-term health insurance, so it has to be through an agency. They do have long-term health care insurance. That's good, right? Uh Uh-huh. Yes, it certainly is. There's a very big deductible in the policy, so they had to pay for many, many hours in the beginning. Um, and it, it was started at three days a week, and then it went to four days a week, and then it went to five days a week with encouragement from everyone around them saying, well, the sooner we do this, if you only go three days a week, it's going to take that much longer to get to the deductible anyway. Oh, right. So you're, go- you're going to have to pay the same amount of money whether you do it up front or later, so why not get more care earlier? Mm-hmm. So eventually that is what happened, and now we're at the point where the deductible has, has kicked in, although they have not yet. Uh, there's still many difficulties with the insurance company. It's getting reimbursed and also getting the system switched so that now they are actually directly paying for the The insurance company, right, right. Yeah, and that's where the elder care worker has been especially helpful because they do call my parents and try to scare them into making additional payments that that they don't have to make. The insurance company? Yes, yes. And the elder care worker has said, no, absolutely do not pay that. I'm calling them right now. So, Do you feel that it was a good thing that they put the long-term care policy in place? Are, are they glad that oh, they have yes. it? Oh, yes. Yeah, okay. Oh, 100, 100%. I think if they didn't have it, there probably would be no health care workers ever in the house because they would have been petrified. They would run out of money. Yeah. I mean, they're afraid they're going to run out of money now right. with the long-term health ins- care insurance. So yeah. I think that they just would have never had anyone come in because mm-hmm. they would have been too scared about not being able to afford something down the line. So the healthcare, you got someone in there now who's been there for nine months. That's good. That's yes. really actually yes. amazing that you found one person. That's really good. Yeah. Recently, uh, it probably became clear, I would say about two months ago, maybe three three months ago, that even with the aid in the mornings, the evenings are getting very difficult as my father became less able to move and less uh, less often able to, to help himself uh, and get himself into bed that now the just this week the same aid is also coming back in the evening which took a long time to convince them that it was needed but it's now in place and part of it for their comfort was they only they did not want to bring in another aid they would only do it if this one could come back and she she was able to do that and add it to her schedule so how many days a week is she there no she's there five days a week uh, but twice in the day she's with them in the morning and the evenings and she has someone else in the afternoon boy she has a full day yes do they have help on the weekends no not at this point okay um i mean i tried to spend some weekends there my other sister who doesn't live nearby tries to spend some weekends my other siblings are very close by, so they're pretty able to go there regularly. That's good. I remember in our last conversation, you made a point of saying that you weren't the sole caregiver and that you sort of had a team right. there with your siblings. Yes. Well, also after we spoke, you went to Thailand to volunteer at a mindfulness recovery center and to teach yoga. And you, you almost didn't make the trip because of the situation with your parents. If you can remember from that time period, um, how were you able to get past it, and, and how did you finally decide to go? Um, well, I, I think there were a number of changes that were able to be made that made me feel more comfortable, such as moving the bedroom downstairs, having a home health care worker there. And I was able to spend a significant amount of time there in mm-hmm. the fall so that I felt that things were 
as stable as they were going to be for the moment. Things seemed to be sort of staying the same. So I thought it would be okay, and they felt the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like I said, I do have siblings, so that they 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 were able to cover and be available while I was away. Did anything happen with them while you were gone? Yes, there was a, there was one scare when he did have to go to the hospital. That turned out to be they could not find anything in particular that was wrong with him, but he was more incapacitated than normal, enough for my mother to call the ambulance. But then, like I said, they, they checked him out and felt that he was fine. Did you communicate with your parents while you were gone? Oh, yes. Not by phone calls, but uh-huh. via email. Email. And... Do you, did you process any new emotions around them and your dad? I mean, while you were gone with all that distance? You know, I think it was more of, I felt like I felt like it was more emotional last year, sort of really accepting that he was really going downhill and that there might be a limited amount of time that he was still alive. And that was more of a process last year, so less so this time. The hardest part, I would say, of Parkinson's is that while it's not always steadily worse, it does sort of even out for a while, and there are good days and there are bad days, a lot of it is not something you process when you're away from the person because they exist as they used to be in your memory. It's really something that affects you much more in person because even from week to week or from month to month, you can say, oh, wow this is really progressed. And so that's actually harder than when you're not, you know, face to face. That's a really good point. Well, how old is your dad now? 76. 76. And tell us about his health specifically. What's different since the last time we spoke? Uh, I would say he's much less ambulatory, uh, freezes much more often, isn't able to, to move the way he did before, takes much longer for his brain to somehow get his legs or arms to move. And sometimes that doesn't even happen as much more of a, of a cough now and stuff caught in the throat. His head is hangs down more now, has a harder time speaking and being heard. So those are some definite physical changes. And how is your mom doing? I know she had some health issues that were made worse by the stress of caring for your dad. She had some high blood pressure, and I think you said some eczema brought on by stress. Right. How is her health now? I would say about the same. Mm-hmm. About the same. Mm-hmm. How is she reacting to your dad's decline? You know, I think she is trying to put the best foot forward at the moment. You know, I think it's incredibly stressful for her. And I think there's a certain amount of, you know what, I just need to get through things an hour at a time, a day at a time. I don't feel like she can wrap her head around anything more than two or three days away. She hasn't broken down crying. Uh She's broken down in anger at herself because she thinks that she's at fault. It makes no sense. But she will, like, throw things and say, I'm a horrible person. I'm the worst wife ever. Why can't I do things right? That's sad. But that's, it is very sad. You know, it's misdirected anger, but... You know, that's the burden that she's that she's carrying. So, yeah, so she hasn't really, I mean, and she won't break down like in front of me. I'll just be upstairs mm-hmm. and then I'll hear some crashes and some plates and, and then oh. I'll go down and she'll, go, oh, and she'll say, oh, everything's fine now. I just had a little moment and I have to say, you know, I don't know. It just seems like throwing things and that might mean I think maybe you're upset. Don't you think maybe that means you're upset? Uh-huh. Oh, no, no, that I'm fine. Do you know what I mean? Like rather than saying, you're having a meltdown. That doesn't help. Uh-huh. I have to be very gentle. Uh-huh. 
You know, so, it's so um, interesting because I just realized that your mom being an only child may have something to do with the fact that she is not just not used to sharing her feelings with a sibling. I mean, even if you don't get along with your siblings, at least at some point in your life, you probably shared some feelings with them, right? And I think it must be really hard if you're an only child. Not that that's an excuse or anything like that. I just think, you know, your orientation in the world is so different to begin with if you're an only child. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And she's hated being an only child. I mean, she said that her whole, that's why she had four kids. Yeah, no, I think that that's, she's just very used to that. Hmm. And, you know, that she was sort of the caregiver for her mother. And she just sort of feels like that's what she should do. Because she's always mad at herself that she forgets my father's pills and that she's not doing a good job taking care of him. And Is the aide able to administer the medications? Maybe she does in the morning. Uh-huh. But my mother still has to organize it because they, they, they're spaced out throughout right. the day. And your mom um, sometimes forgets? Yes, she will sometimes forget. So it's, I mean, it's a very hard thing. But, I, you know, I understand. I understand where she came from in terms of her parents. And, I mean, my grandmother, before I went to college, her advice, she had me come over to her house to tell me, no, I just want to tell you, remember, you're off on your own now and just don't trust anyone. Your grandmother said that, that to you? Yes. She's like, you might think people want to be your friends, but remember, they really don't. And you cannot trust anyone once you go to college. Wow. I was like, that's the advice? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> and how is your mom? Is, are the health aides making her life any easier? Is she And is she able to yes. get some time oh, for herself? Yes. I wouldn't say she's making much time for herself. There have been a couple of occasions when we've been able to you know, bring her out shopping or a little excursion by herself when the aide can watch my father. So I definitely think that the aide is helping in a huge, huge way. I just don't really know if it's in her makeup to also try to, you know, take some time for herself. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly she's encouraged to by everyone, but she doesn't seem to be able to make that leap. And granted, you know, having been there, caring for someone is a very full-time job. Yeah, absolutely. But she must have a level of comfort now with the home health aid where she feels like she can leave, you know, your dad alone with the aid, right? Yes, yes, yes. So at least at least errands and shopping and various things like that can be done while the aid is with my father. And do your siblings have any stories of being with your mom where that they've shared with you where she's talked about your dad or her what's their take? You know, I, I don't know that she's really express to anyone what it's like. I mean, you know, this is two years ago. She did say, oh, okay, I came to realize, okay, the fun part of my life is over. Two you know, years ago years she said done. that? Yeah, a couple of years ago. Yeah. She sort of said, okay, the good years are done. We're in for a really tough time. And I think, you know, there was that sort of realization. But some of it may just be family. Some of it may be generational. Some of it may be the part of the country. You know, it's the, <laughs> it's mm-hmm. very not mm-hmm. Oprah. You know, it is of a certain kind of thing where you are kind of stoic and you try to put the best foot forward and not complain. Uh-huh. I mean, that's not the American way anymore, but it certainly was. They're not the greatest generation, but they're soon after. You know, that kind of that kind of stoic generation that, you know, there was a certain pride in just sort of keeping your troubles to yourself. So I think that's really where they both operate from, which is, of course, in our Oprah culture and our Dr. Phil and... And our Donald Trump culture, it's a little different than screaming and saying horrible things to people and complaining about your lot. It just isn't kind of their makeup. 
Right. But it must be hard for you. How have your feelings changed, if they've changed at all? You know, in the time that you've spent with your parents in the last year or so? Um, well, you know, I, I think, I mean, I certainly respect my mother for what she's had to do. Mm-hmm. I respect my father for relatively, you know, go, he's going through such a hard time. And while he will ask for things, he's not complaining. He really is trying to make the best of it. I mean, we did have a conversation over the holidays and I said, how are you doing? And he sort of said, well, you know, the best I can, there's nothing I can do about this. So I'm, I'm as good as I can be. So, you know, I have grown to respect them for that. I've grown to probably be much more sensitive in how I push things forward, you know, realizing that how I might be able to push things uh, in New York City and in this kind of very aggressive environment where everyone is sort of healthy and, you know, you sort of need to push to make things happen a lot of the time that Mm -hmm. that doesn't necessarily work. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the times it's offering an idea and letting them come to their own conclusions and not sort of slipping into the parent role and saying, this is what you have to do. Mm-hmm. Just sort of saying, well, this is what it seems to me like the best thing to do is. And I, I'm more accepting of that now and more accepting of, well, it's their decision, you know, ultimately. And there are certain things that I push on, but, you know, I do think it's important that you give people a little bit of dignity and let them make their own decisions. So I've probably gotten a little less aggressive in some ways. I've gotten more patient, Mm -hmm. even when things that I think need to happen right away, just knowing that 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 may not be something that they can wrap their heads around. What sort of things are you pushing them on? Well, I think it was certainly pushing them on getting more help in the evenings. That was the major thing. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of now, you know, such as paperwork stuff that we need to get in place Mm -hmm. to make sure that we know what they want and that... We know where all of their things are and that sort of stuff. Just so we know where all of their life things are if something were to happen and we had to pay the credit card bills and we mm-hmm. had to call upon their insurance. You know, what, where is the policy? Do we know what the, what the policy is? Do we know what their wishes are? All of that stuff. And I think that's sort of overwhelming when you have stacks and stacks of paperwork. Mm-hmm. Do you, you feel know? like you have a handle with, on that now? No. You don't? No. No, we've asked, but then it's overwhelming because my mother gets very upset and she can't figure out where the papers are, and we're better than we were, but it's it's just a process. We know some things, just pulling more things together. Mm-hmm. But your mom presumably put her hands on some documents if she really had to oh, if your yes, dad yes. suddenly died. So, yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, yes. She, yeah. she could, and certainly it's in the awareness that it's somewhere we just need to gather it all together, and... You know, the women tend to live longer than men in my family, mm-hmm. uh, if you just look at the family patterns. But, you know, she has, you know, high blood pressure, heart attacks run in her family. There's a number of things that mm-hmm. could happen for her as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's dealing with. So, mm-hmm. uh, so it's, a, it's a process. I mean, I don't, I don't feel we're going we're gonna to be, it's, it's going to be a disaster if, if we need to get our hands on things. It, it, we just could get things a little more, a little more organized and ready. It really is a process, isn't it? You just can't push too hard. You just can't. Yeah, no, I mean, you, I mean, even when I, when I go there, I become, well, you're moving so, you know, you're moving so fast. You're doing it all the, you know, as many things in one day as I would try to get done in a week. It's just when you're older, I, they can't think of and handle, oh, I'm doing 22 things in a day. It's like I'm doing two things in a day. So right. if I'm able to get two things done, then that's, I have to be satisfied with that. And I can't expect them to mm-hmm. uh, operate according to, you know, at my pace. Right. Does your dad go out at all? Is he able to get out? 
Yes, I mean, he's able to get out in the wheelchair and be pushed around the neighborhood on the sidewalk and get outside. We try to bring him outside so he can be around. You know, he always used to do all the plants and the flowers and the and mm-hmm. the garden and the mm-hmm. yard. Mm-hmm. So there's a little bit of that that all of us try to do. So at least there's something going on there. And he will go in the car and go out shopping or to dinner occasionally. Oh, that's um, great. So yeah, he's able to get out a little bit. Just like particularly in the car, it's good to have two people to be able to get him in and out yeah. at this point. And he certainly appreciates getting out. There is a little bit of dementia, mm-hmm. and it comes and goes. Sometimes he gets a little mixed up about exactly what's happening. Mm-hmm. And it, there's a lot of intense dreams, from what I understand. Hmm. A lot of nightmares where the dementia sort of sets, can set in, which, but there's kind of an awareness that it's setting in, and that's very scary for the person. And for your mom, too, probably. Yeah, if, yeah. You were considering assisted living at, at one point for your dad. Are there any updates on that or any new thoughts about maybe one of the siblings moving in with him? No, I think it's very, very clear that he doesn't want that. My mother doesn't want that. Mm-hmm. And at least for now, with the long-term care policy, the long-term care policy is probably stronger in terms of bringing more help in than sending someone somewhere. I mean, they are now, per the recommendation of the elder care expert, on lists for some assisted living places. But right now, that's not in the cards. It sounds like that elder care expert has been a real advocate for you. Oh, sure, yes. There's so much confusion around navigating all of these issues. It's nice to have that objective expert who's got your back. I mean, that's really right, great. Right, right, Because you just don't know what the bottom line is. Uh-huh. And to have someone who's not part of the family sometimes is, is good because it's a little more of a neutral voice. Uh-huh. Do you and your siblings meet with them or talk with that elder care expert on a regular basis? Via email, we check in. Mm-hmm. We have met in person, mm-hmm. but only once or twice. It's more via email. And is that something that you recommend for people to seek out an elder care expert like that? I would say yes. You know, I have another friend who does that here in New York City, and I haven't worked with her, but I've watched her. And so I think if you can afford it, for sure. You know, it's like learning uh, as as it would be good to have a social worker if you're going through anything, you know, if you're any kind of health problem, because there's state laws to deal with, there's federal laws to put things in place for, there's legal stuff, and Mm -hmm. then there's the emotional stuff. And just to have someone who does have knowledge of all these areas that essentially a family is just learning about is really helpful to be a point person and to just, you know, just when you don't know, you can just say, well, what do you think? Is this the right thing? Is this, is that the right thing? Is, what are the options? I mean, these are the questions to ask when you call the, the health company. These are the things to look at the policy to make sure you have X, Y, and Z, or if you don't have X, Y, and Z. So there's a lot of information that's very helpful. Uh-huh. You get so overwhelmed. And I don't know what people charge for that. It's about 150 to 250 An hour? An hour, yeah. You don't have them for four hours. You right. Them for a short period of time, maybe right. once a week or maybe once a month or once every other week. Is that covered by the long-term care policy? That from- is not. It's not covered. That is, okay. As far as I know, the only time it is is if you have a, the top line mm-hmm. uh, of insurance. insurance. Uh-huh. And in those cases, people actually, just the insurance company writes the person a check and says, here's X amount of dollars. Do whatever you need to with it. 
and that person can pay the elder care expert and can pay whatever they want. The kind of policy that my parents have, which is a lesser policy, is they had to find a certain amount of money for a certain amount of visits, and then afterwards the care has to be approved by the, you know, it's more like a traditional insurance policy where they have to go in network, so mm-hmm. to speak. They can only use certain agencies, health aids, etc., for things to be covered. Do you have a long-term care policy yourself? No, I barely have health insurance. I know that long-term care <laughs> you know, premiums are very expensive. Yes, they're very expensive. You know, because I'm freelancing right now, um, and I'm paying for my own insurance, adding that to the mix is not a possibility at the moment financially. Yeah. But if I'm in the position where I have another regular job again and, I'm, and I have insurance coverage, then I certainly would consider it. Mm-hmm. So how much time are you spending helping out your parents now? How often are you seeing them? Um, I would say I try to go at least once a month for a long weekend. The two siblings that live away, we each try to go there for you know, a weekend once a month. And then my other siblings are there for the other two. Sometimes it's more, sometimes it's a little less, depending mm-hmm. on what's happening. You know, we try to divide it up. And sometimes we're there on the same weekend, but we try not to be. So that's spread out. Uh huh. Do you find yourself talking with one of the siblings more than the other about what's going on? Uh, I certainly talk to my both of my sisters more than my brother. But I think that also has to do with the family dynamic. The tradition has been for the females to do the caregiving mm-hmm. of the older people. My aunt certainly took more care of my grandmother than my father. My mother was an only child, so she certainly did all the caregiving for her parents. So that, I think, is some of it. And certainly there's a little more coordination with my sister who lives away. We talk a little more often simply because it's like, well, when can you go? When can you go? Mm-hmm. Et cetera. Just around logistics. Do you guys have conflicting opinions about what should be done? Uh, we haven't so far. You know, at this point, we haven't. We've had some conflicting opinions about how fast we would like things to go with my parents. We're hoping there would be a health aid earlier. We were hoping to move the bedroom earlier. You know, those sort of things. Mm-hmm. But we, we've all pretty much been on the same page. That could change as things get a little more serious and maybe even harder decisions have to be made. Mm-hmm. You know, we haven't really hit the point where anyone feels, okay, assisted living is the answer. And that would seem to me, for any family, is the toughest question because the question is, all right, do you have full-time care at home and how do you pay for it? Or does someone move in with them? Or do they move into someone else's house? Or do you go assisted living? So, I mean, it seems like those are the choices. And when you when you hit that point, and if there are differing opinions about that, I think that, that there could be a lot of tension around that. Yeah. Well, it sounds like your parents have made the decision to keep your dad in the house. And that's doable with the long-term care policy, at least yeah. in the foreseeable future. At the moment. Yeah. Yes. And you've moved the bedroom downstairs to the main floor? What other adjustments have you made in the house? Uh, We've done a lot of purging, I would say, just to make the main floor a little easier to maneuver with a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. That sort of was the main thing How in the did that ideal go? world. Uh, it, it took many weekends mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. was difficult. It was just a, a, a slow process that continues, mm-hmm. um, even when we're there, when we when we can going through. Well, do we really need this? Do we really need that? So there's still plenty of plenty of stuff, mm-hmm. and that's going okay. It would be ideal if there was some way to have a bathroom on the first floor rather than the second. Mm-hmm. There has been some talk of. Uh, having a shower on the first floor because they only have a half bath. Uh So when you get back to your apartment after visiting your parents, how do you feel? Usually a little shook up, I would say. I can never quite identify why, but usually a little shook up. I would say, yeah. How do you get past that? Yeah, I mean, 
I don't know. I don't think you do. Yeah. You just have to sit with it. You know, for, for me, it's just because when I'm there, I'm very focused. Uh, since I do have limited time, you know, helping in very specific ways, i.e. mowing the lawn, i.e. getting some flowers in, washing the windows, you know, doing very specific things that help their quality of life and are things that, that maybe won't get done unless I do them, which also keeps me busy and keeps me in a certain amount of denial as well in, you know, emotionally what the situation is. And then kind of when I come back, there's kind of a residue of, oh, it's a tough situation. But when I'm there, I'm still kind of following their lead and being stoic and just, all right, well, let's just get some stuff done. Yeah, it's funny. I'm kind of the same way when I'm with my mom. I'm really focused and proactive. And then kind of when I come back, I'm just like, okay, that was kind of hard. Right, I mean, right. it really, you just, it comes up, these emotions come up when you least expect it. Regardless of how old you are and how much intellectually you know, that they are older and you are older, you know, you still have those unconscious memories of these are the people that, like, solved every problem. And all of a sudden, see them not being able to do that. So it sort of shakes you to your very core because mm -hmm. what you counted on in life, these beings that sort of fed you and took care of you, and before you could even identify what that meant, even were cognitively aware, you know, all those memories are imprinted on you subconsciously. So... Obviously, it's like this thing that I thought was always going to be one way is not that way anymore. It's impermanence and accepting that, which is hard, and just noticing it and just going, wait, what, what happened? You know, when did this change? Where did all these years go? So yeah. it's, you know, specific to the situation, but it gets sort of larger in terms of the passage of life. So mm -hmm. there, there is a kind of mourning even that's happening now, not the mourning of someone being on the earth anymore, but the mourning of, oh, this person is no longer what they were. I don't think there's any way, if you're a somewhat sensitive person, that you can't feel that, even right. if you don't, even if you don't right. want to. Right. You know, even if you're trying not to, it's still, it's just there. Has your dad said anything to you about how you're perceiving him now? Because my mom has said to me, it must be weird for you to see me using a walker. And I thought that was so interesting oh, uh, that she had that capacity right. to, to detach from herself in that way and say, this must be weird for you to see. And I said, yeah, actually, it kind of is, but I'm used to it by now. Right. You know? Yeah, I mean, he'll, you know, he'll sort of joke around sometimes and say, well, you know, I don't recommend getting old, or I guess I shouldn't expect it that the end is going to be fun. <laughs> uh, you know, he'll sort of, he will acknowledge it, and so far hasn't directly said something to me about my feelings. It's been more general. Like, it's not an easy time. Right. So what does the future look like for your mom? Have you talked about what she'll do after your father dies? Will she stay in the house? Oh, yeah. No, no, no. We're nowhere near that. No. I'm, not, mean, su I'm not su suggesting that you would be. I'm just curious. No, no. Yeah. I'm just saying, yeah, I, I certainly have thought of it, and she might have thought of it mm -hmm. on her own. You know, it's again, it's, it's hard with Parkinson's because my father could live another five to eight years or not. You know, it's not the kind of diagnosis, you know, when you've got six months or you've got this. I mean, literally, no one knows. Hmm. No one, people do not die from Parkinson's. They die from some compl other complications that might happen. So, no, at this point, we haven't gone there yet. Yeah. And also, when we last spoke, you said you wish you'd had the foresight to start planting seeds earlier with your parents and you wish you'd known that you would need to have patience. Is there anything new now that you didn't anticipate? that you wish you'd known, let's say, with respect to what's happened in the last nine months or so? Right. To be honest, uh, I don't know how we would have done this. The only thing that I could say is I wish 
from a practical level that I would have pushed years ago about the one floor living. Mm. Because I think that that's the kind of thing that could have been brought up, you know, with a Parkinson's diagnosis, you know, like as as some families do, you know, you probably are going to have to end up on the first floor at a certain point. Mm -hmm. So let's really look at what that would mean and what we would need to do. What do we need to do about the bathroom? How do we make one floor in this particular house doable? And how do we make that happen mm-hmm. while they were still maybe living upstairs? And, you know, I just think that, that, that that's the one thing that I think I just didn't think of it. And it's such an obvious thing that could be done earlier so that you are better equipped. Because your dad was diagnosed more than 10 years ago, right? Yeah, I think he was 15 years ago. Well, maybe in the beginning it was hard to see the sign. Oh, sure. In the beginning, yeah. yeah. In the beginning, he was completely fine. Yeah. Um, right. And right. again, no one knows. It's not. No one knows how long it's going to take and what what effect it will have. It's a it's a very unknown disease at this point. So I don't fault anyone. How could we know? But just now, looking back, if I if I someone to say, you know what, my my father has has just had the diagnosis of Parkinson's, I would say, you know what think about and see if you can bring up with them now how they might want to live on one floor Mm -hmm. if they want to stay in their house. That's a good note for our listeners. Are you still a fan of assisted suicide? (laughs) You (laughs) You mentioned that? I do. Uh, You said that in our last interview. You know, I... I, Maybe a fan is not the word. (laughs) Maybe a fan is not the right word. I would say I understand and it certainly is an option I seriously consider. Yeah. Um, uh, depending on how my life goes and depending if I'm single or not, and or have, uh, not even single, if I, if I have caregivers around me or if I don't, I can't imagine being in my father's position by myself in a restaurant or in assisted living. I think uh-huh. it would be better to have assisted suicide for myself. When I'm there, you might feel differently. I know there's yeah. all sorts of assisted suicide advocates that get to the place and they're like, well, I've changed my mind. But I, I just think you need so much care that, has to be delivered with incredible tenderness and love. And I don't know if it's possible in any of those places to live there for several years would be very hard. To to do that and to spend all your life to be treated like crap as you pass away. I mean, to be quite frank, you know, kind of not an appealing. It's not an appealing scenario. Scenario. Yeah, I agree with you. Well, you know, and I don't mean to be cavalier about it, but the reality is the deeper you get into these conversations, the more you kind of get, I wouldn't say numb, but you get very practical. I mean, I've, I've gotten so much more pragmatic right. and honest about what I want right. and what I can see for the future. And I'm not saying I welcome my old age, but I've got, it's been a real wake up call for me in lots of ways. And I should imagine that seeing your dad in this shape and how your mom's reacted, has been a kind of a wake up call for you. Oh, sure. Oh, sure. Especially in our culture, having spent some time in Southeast Asia, which is more Buddhism-influenced, you know, there's the philosophy that you cannot avoid old age, sickness, and death. That's a precept of daily life. And much of your life is spent accepting those things if you follow the Buddhist path. Whereas in Western culture, we spend our lives avoiding the fact that there's sickness, old age, and death. I would say America hates sickness and old age, and probably poverty, those would be the three big things that America hates the most and tries to deny in this culture. So 
unless you're face to face with it, as we have been watching parents, you know, there's there's no reason to think about it. You actually spend your time avoiding it. You know, it's kind of a gift to have to face it because it is inevitable for all of us. Yeah. Yeah, so tell us about a little bit about your trip to Thailand and your yoga and how that's helping you with your parents, because I should think that maybe it is in some way, right? I mean, I think that definitely being exposed to a, an Eastern... Being exposed to Buddhism was hugely helpful because, like I said, it's a different kind of Buddhism than meditation. You know, you literally will meditate. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. you, you have... Where you, where you just say, you know, you, uh, there are various techniques, but you, you will just sit with the fact that you accept the fact that you will have sickness and you accept the fact that you will die and you accept the fact that you will lose things that you love and you actually practice letting go and being okay with it. And that was hugely influential to me. Because again, like I said, it's the exact opposite of Western culture. It's, oh, I'm kind of sad. My father's really sick. And what says, well, have a drink, eat a cupcake or watch TV. You numb out. You do the opposite. Mm-hmm. You kind of pretend it's not happening. So mm-hmm. being in, in a culture that actually not only encourages you to face those things, but actually has techniques that help you to accept it was hugely profound. Not that I was able to fully accept those things, but to hear that and to sort of acknowledge that, oh, this is going to be really, really hard and you didn't do anything wrong. It's life. It's something that we all experience if we are human beings. So so a lot of it, I would say the meditation really kind of helped that that philosophy for me. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying for other people it, it would, but for me that was was very helpful in just kind of accepting things. And the other big philosophy is developing compassion for yourself and for other people who are suffering in those situations. And that was a really good practice. Rather than trying to change someone or trying to make it better for them or trying to deny that someone is either yourself or someone else is going through old age, suffering, sickness, death, you are just sort of with them and you show them compassion. And that is a very different approach than mm-hmm. trying to solve their, their problem and, 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 or not letting the person have their own feelings. So now that's what I would say was most significant for me. Mm-hmm. It's a good lesson. Well, the last time we spoke, you left our listeners with some choice thoughts about approaching their own parents' aging issues. You said, no, you'll be surprised and that your assumptions about your parents, your siblings, and yourself are going to be turned somewhat upside down. Would you like to update those last thoughts in any way or offer something new? You know, I would just say as time goes on, because I think in these situations, obviously, some people have a very difficult illness and it passes quickly. And in other situations, people sort of slowly fade away. And I would just say in the latter case, which is what I'm experiencing, just try to practice as much kindness and compassion for everybody involved, your parents, yourselves, because that is really what sort of helps at the end of the day, because it's not going to be easy. And there's a lot of difficult choices over and over again. And if you can be kind and compassionate while everybody's under a tremendous amount of stress, it just makes it a little easier. And being really aggressive and angry, well, those are all things to feel. Usually when you indulge those feelings, it doesn't help the situation. So kindness and compassion are ideals to strive for in decision-making and behavior. Mm-hmm. Well, listen, Tim, thanks so much for being on the show for this follow-up interview and for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's it for today. 
Thanks for joining us. The AgeWise podcast is produced and edited by me, Jana Panaritis, and you can listen to the show and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The AgeWise podcast is also distributed on the nationally syndicated Speak Up Talk Radio Network, the 24-7 streaming and on-demand network that's always on for you. And don't forget to check out our website for more amazing caregiving stories from the field. Go to agewise.com, that's A-G-E-W-Y-Z, or Z, as my Canadian mother says, and find out how you can be a guest on the show. Remember, every caregiver has a story. I want to hear yours.